chapter 1. I don't have a page number for the Blue Bible for you, but it's after the book of Ephesians, before the book of Colossians. You will find sandwiched in there the wonderful book of Philippians. 104 verses jam-packed with all sorts of goodness in there. And I want to read now verses 1 through 18 to give us some context. And, uh, and then I'm going to give us some, some backdrop and how we got to the point where we're getting to this morning or this evening as Paul has uh, encountered some difficulties with some troubling people within his midst. And uh, he moves from troubling circumstances to troubling people. And that is one of the things that we encounter in ministry and in the church sometimes, that these uh, things and conflicts arise. So let's look at Philippians 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it is, has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And we'll end our reading of God's words, that word there. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, as we come to your word, we pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us eyes to see, hearts to change, and that you would bless us now as we look into your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I might be doing a lot of this as I try to clear out uh, the sickness from last week, so please bear with me. Greyhound racing. Have you ever seen these dogs race, greyhound races? These dogs are incredible. They're amazing. They go about 75 kilometers per hour. Can you imagine a dog doing that? And one of the things that they do with these dogs, after they put them in the cages and they line them up, and there's somebody up above, and they release the cage, and a little runner, a rabbit, goes along a rail beside the dogs to make them go fast. They're chasing that particular rabbit along the way. And, it, and they, they keep that just a certain distance in front of the dogs 
to keep them going. And this spurs them on and gives them the impetus to keep running faster and faster. It's an incredible thing to witness. But there is one race that occurred in Florida where when this rabbit rounded the first bend, there was a short in the electrical system there, and this rabbit burst into flames and just exploded right there. And the dogs didn't know what to do. Some of them started chasing their tails. Some of them started playing with each other. Some of them started barking at people in the attending in the crowd. All these things happened, and they completely lost their way in this race that they were in. Now, one thing we can say about the Apostle Paul, he was never thrown off like that. He was not running a race aimless. And we can see that he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was running a race, and he wasn't just running to finish. He was running that race to win. All of the different things that the the Apostle Paul encountered, all of the different trials of life, all of the different circumstances that were there in place that could have upset him, that could have got him off track, that could have got him chasing down some other rabbit trail, who knows? It didn't happen in his life. He was resolute. He was steadfast, immovable in his abounding in his work for the Lord. And if you've been following this series, you will have seen that the Apostle Apostle Paul is a very unusual person, and he's writing to us from a very unusual place. And Paul wrote the book of Philippians around 62 AD while he's in prison in Rome after being falsely accused in Jerusalem, appealing to Caesar in Rome, as he had a right to do as a Roman citizen, and then being transported to Rome and incarcerated there, awaiting trial and going through different experiences along the way. And then the church at Philippi hears about Paul's imprisonment, and they send one fellow, Epaphroditus, this 1,300-kilometer journey to Rome to bring Paul a bit of a care package. He could have brought him money, other goods, food, who knows what all was in that care package, but he took this long journey, 1,300 kilometers by the shortest route, and went to Rome to encourage the Apostle Paul. And so Paul, in response, writes this letter back to the church at Philippi from Rome. But it's more than just a thank you letter. Paul had a great love and affection for the church at Philippi. They're one of the only churches that we know that were in support of the Apostle Paul, supporting him in his work. And they tried to encourage him. He's encouraging them back. But there's also a number of other important themes that we see in the book of Philippians. And if you've been following along in this series that we've been doing bi-weekly, then you know that one of the things that we see in there is service. We see Paul and Timothy called servants of Christ Jesus all the way back in verse 1 there of the text here in Philippians chapter 1. They're called servants, and your version could say bond slave or slave. That's another term that it's translated as. But the word here describes somebody who is owned by someone else. They're not their own. And for Paul and Timothy, they were not their own. They'd been bought with a price, and they were glorifying God in their ministry and in their bodies. And so it's a big lesson here that we see that the Apostle Paul was learning along the way, and that we need to learn as well. And that if we are going to find our life, we have to lose it. We have to lose it. That's what Jesus said. Paul learned that the more you do as you please, the less you will be pleased with what you do. And he learned that 
as a Pharisee. He was doing as he pleased. He was persecuting the church of God. He was doing what he thought was right as a Pharisee. But yet, there was no satisfaction in it. There was no peace in it. There was certainly no joy in it as he operated in that way as a Pharisee. But he was converted. He was transformed on the road to Damascus. And we read about that in Acts chapter 9. And then one of the great byproducts of that in the life of the Apostle Paul, as he grew in the faith, he grew in his joy. And that's another great theme that we see in this great epistle, sometimes called the epistle of joy. Well, what is joy? Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not based on our circumstances. That's one thing that we've learned along the way here. Happiness goes up and down depending on the happenings. Joy is not that way. Joy is different. Joy is fixed. And you can go through very unfavorable circumstances, all kinds of sufferings, and yet still have joy. And that was the life of the Apostle Paul. He still maintained joy. And he said all kinds of strange things to our ears, like the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4, In all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. That's a remarkable statement. In all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy was so much a part of the Apostle Paul's life that we, when he was on his way to Jerusalem for the present, uh, then he was falsely accused and now in prison. When he was on his way to go to Jerusalem, people told him, don't go. It's not going to go well for you there. You're going to be arrested. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have all kinds of things that are not going to go well. And in Acts 20, 22, it says, Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His intent was to finish finish that race with joy. What a strange response that is. I don't care what happens to me there. Everyone's warning me not to go. It's not going to go well for me there. But they can't take his joy away. Why? Because his joy was fixed in Jesus, not in his circumstances. And that is a huge lesson we learned from the Apostle Paul. His joy didn't go up and down depending on the circumstances. His joy was fixed in Jesus, rooted in that relationship with the Lord, not in his worldly circumstances going on around him. To Paul, joy was an inner peace and an inner confidence, knowing that all would be well because all is well with God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? That all is well with you because you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in God, all is is well and always will be well with us, no matter what happens to us. God is sovereign. God is good. His ways are greater than our ways. His good and perfect plan is being worked out in our lives and in this world around us right now in every minute detail that we encounter. And so we can have peace, we can have confidence, we can have assurance, knowing that God is for us, not against us, 
even though all of his providence might seem to be against us, all of circumstances might seem to be against us, yet God is for us. And to the Apostle Paul, he had a great passion, and we looked at this two weeks ago. He had that passion to know Christ, and he wanted to make Christ known. That would be a summary statement of the Apostle Paul's life, to know Christ and to make him know. But this passion led to all kinds of problems in his life. Because he was passionate about the gospel and passionate about making Christ known, this led to all sorts of problems in his life. But his perspective The aim that he had in his life made all of the difference in this world and in the next world. And there's no doubt what Paul was most passionate about was the spread of the gospel. And we see there in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All of the different things that he's encountered, that was his perspective, that if these things are are pushing forward the gospel, if the message is going forward, that is the main thing. It doesn't matter what I go through in this world as long as the gospel is going forward. That is a tremendous, tremendous perspective to have. And he lists for us there three different ways that the gospel is going forward there. He says in verse 13 that we see the gospel advancing in Roman citizens. Or that's the second point. The first is uh, Roman soldiers. The gospel is advancing in the lives of soldiers. These soldiers that are chained to the Apostle Paul 24-7 for two whole years, six-hour shifts, they would rotate through. And so the gospel is advancing through them. Some of them were coming to know the Lord. Some of them were, were at least hearing the gospel. The gospel is advancing in this way. And the second way is in the lives of of Roman citizens. We see that in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Everyone knew that he was in jail for Jesus. Everybody knew that. Why the Apostle Paul was in jail. He wasn't there because he was a criminal or that he stole something or that he did something else. He was there because of Jesus Christ. And the third way Paul says the gospel advanced was in the lives of Roman Christians who formerly tended to be afraid, and we see that in verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. To the Apostle Paul, all of those past experiences, all of the present circumstances, all of the future worries that he could have, In regards to his imprisonment, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be executed? What's going to happen? All these different things that he could worry about. You know, all the what-ifs that we lay up uh, awake at night wondering, what if this is going to happen? What if that's going to happen? The Apostle Paul could have done that. He didn't do that. He left his future in the hands of the Lord. And through everything, he had that peace and that joy, that inner confidence that all would be well because all is well with God. He had joy despite trouble, despite difficult circumstances, as long as Christ's cause was progressing. But we see something take place here in verses 15 to 18. He goes from circumstances that were a problem to people that are a problem. And we see that in verses 15 to 18. I'll read that once again. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know that contention and strife are sometimes a reality in the local church. Things happen, and sometimes conflicts can arise over relatively silly things or small things like the color of the carpet, like the color of the chairs. I've been in situations where people have left the church over these types of small issues. They've, they've, they've done away with, with decades-old friendships over these types of things. And you sit there and you wonder, why? How does that ever happen? That people could be so worked up to leave the church over this or that particular issue. How does that happen? Well, one answer could be that Satan loves to amplify conflicts. He can take something very, very small and spin that out of control within our midst. Disagreements in order to divide God's people. Division amongst God's people. That would be something Satan would love to do. As John Trapp put it, the devil loves to fish in troubled waters. When those waters get stirred up, he wants to seize on that as an opportunity to provide division even further in a local congregation. And that's why it's critical for us to strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, to protect one another's reputation, to think the best of one another and not the worst, to be on guard against these different things so that we don't allow small things to become big things. Attacks from outside the church, upon the church, that we can easily understand. We live in a world that is hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ, hostile to the gospel, hostile to God's word. We can understand if the outside world wants to attack the church. But what Paul is referring to here isn't outside the church, it's inside the church. He's referring to believers He's talking to Christian people that know the Lord Jesus Christ here, that are opposed to him. Difficult people that are opposed to him. And Paul identifies the difficult people by their characteristics. Now, why would we say these are Christian people? Well, we look back to verse 14, and most of the brothers, so he's calling them brothers, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, so there he's linking verse 14 with 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. He's talking about fellow believers, people that know the Lord Jesus Christ and love the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet don't love the Apostle Paul and are stirring up trouble for him. And he gives them these different characteristics here. He says that they are jealous, and we see that in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. The word envy there refers to those who create conflict and are are argumentative. They like trouble. They want to stir up controversy and trouble. They want to be troublemakers, and they're jealous, and they're envious of the Apostle Paul. And then he says that they were selfish, those who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. So the idea there is they were like politicians. They were canvassing for votes, seeking office. They were promoting themselves. And we see that all the time in our world, don't we? Self-promotion. But they were also malicious, very malicious. Thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, verse 17. They caused friction deliberately looking to irritate the Apostle Paul and also irritate the authorities against the Apostle Paul. 
looking to afflict me in my imprisonment, stirring up trouble so that the Apostle Paul would have even more trouble in his imprisonment. So they were jealous, they were selfish, they were malicious, and what a terrible state that that would be to be in a local church that is operating that way, or to be in a group or a congregation that's operating in that way. Jealous, selfish, malicious. And remember, he's called them Christians. They are believers, but they are not um, in favor of the Apostle Paul. Now, what did the Apostle Paul do? Well, he did a couple of things, a couple of very important things. And the first thing is he focused on the good. It's easy for us to be very negative when things are happening, especially if we're being falsely accused of something. It's very easy for us to focus in on and isolate onto those different negative things. But the Apostle Paul doesn't do that. The Apostle Paul didn't fixate on the troublemakers. Instead, he found the silver lining in this contention, in the controversies that are happening. Paul saw that some believers preach Christ from goodwill. And he says that in verse 15. And their motive was love, verse 16. And they saw that Paul was put there for the defense of the gospel, verse 16. So these different things are good. And so he points out the good, that not everyone is bad, not everyone is malicious, not everyone is envious. There are people who are preaching Christ for the right motives and the right reason. He recognized that his, they recognized that his imprisonment was not a disappointment, but it was a divine appointment. And God was using the Apostle Paul within these prison walls, and he was going to use them outside of those prison walls. And then the second thing is that he did that was very, very important was that he focused on the message. He focused on the message of the gospel. As Paul sat in jail thinking about those who are persecuting him, his conclusion was, what then? What then? Or literally, so what? Verse 18. So what? What does it matter? They're operating this way, they're doing this and that. Who cares? He didn't say, shame on them. He didn't say, well, do you, do you guys know who I am? You ever seen those videos online where somebody gets pulled over by the policeman for speeding and they, you know, do you know who I am? Well, that doesn't go over very well with the authorities. And the Apostle Paul didn't pull that card either. He didn't go and say, don't they know who I am? He said, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. The message was the important thing to the Apostle Paul. In that, he rejoiced. Paul wasn't an unfeeling statue. He had feelings. He talks about that elsewhere in his Gospels. In fact, he felt things very, very deeply, but he was determined not to let these malicious, mean people rob him of his joy. He focused on the good, and he focused on the message. That was the important thing to him. The power is in the message, not the messenger. He didn't care what they said about him just as long as they weren't messing with the gospel message. If someone were to tamper with the gospel message, the Apostle Paul would go at them. And we see that in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. But if they attacked the messenger himself, he ignored them. He moved on. So what? It doesn't matter. Let's move on. The gospel is going forward. And it's important for us to note that, that these guys who are jealous and selfish malicious. They were not heretics. And so the Apostle Paul said, so what? Paul fights heresy. He 
fights the things that fight against Christ and the message. And in fact, in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, anathema, accursed. The Apostle Paul felt very, very strongly about false doctrine, about heresy, and he would attack it very, very strongly. But Paul doesn't want heresy preached, but if people who don't like him are preaching the gospel, Paul is content to leave them alone. In fact, Paul rejoices even if these people are putting him down, falsely accusing him and making him look bad and stirring up trouble for him while he is even in prison. Paul had partners in the gospel and he rejoiced in them. He also had critics, detractors in the gospel, and he rejoiced in spite of them. In spite of them, he rejoiced. And so he's, his calling was not to protect or defend himself, but to protect and defend the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the critical thing in the Apostle Paul's mind, the message. He focused on the good, and he focused on the message. And one of the most discouraging things in life can be when we are falsely accused, being falsely accused how discouraging that can be and one of the things that we do sometimes when that happens is be self-defensive and the apostle paul didn't go that route the incredible thing is that paul was able to rejoice even when he was being falsely accused there were those out there still preaching the gospel the truth in love and those who weren't but the bottom line for paul was verse 18 the important thing to him was whether in pretense or in truth Christ is being proclaimed, and in that he would rejoice. Now this evening, what are the circumstances that you find yourself in, in this life? How are you going to respond to them in the similar way that the Apostle Paul would, with the similar passions that he had? How can we honor Christ and the gospel in the midst of these circumstances that we go through in this life? We need to strive to have that same passionate heart that the Apostle Paul had, where we want to know Christ and we want to make him known. A heart that lays aside all of the self-interests and is exclusively set out to see the gospel furthered. A heart that rejoices when the gospel is preached, even if the preachers were to cause us strife. Now, one has wisely said, God reserves the right to use people who disagree with you. Can we admit that? that? God uses people who disagree with us. And sometimes we can be very, very convicted on a particular issue or thought, and yet God is still going to use other people who might disagree with us in those particular areas. We can often make too much over the things that would divide us and not seek to focus on those things that are there to unite us. And Paul focused on the good, and he focused on the message, and that gave him great joy in this world and in this life. Great joy. Nothing could take away his joy. Difficult circumstances couldn't do it. Difficult people couldn't do it. And we're going to see next time, even the fear of death, something that people are, have been held captive to their entire life, the book of Hebrews tells us. Even that couldn't dissuade the Apostle Paul. Even that couldn't take away his joy. The prospect of death could not take away his joy. Nothing could. And in that, he was much like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the most falsely accused man who ever walked the face of the earth, I believe, was also the most joyful man who ever walked the face of the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. And I think he embodied perfectly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Such an odd paradox that the Apostle Paul gives us there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but yet I also think that he is the most joyful person that ever walked the earth. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Now that is not obviously the way that the world thinks. The world does not think that way. Joy in the midst of health. Joy in the midst of wealth. That's the way the world thinks. Joy when everyone speaks well of you. They have all those things. If we come to them and say to be joyful, and if our joy means all of those same things, they have all of those things. It becomes meaningless. Health and wealth and all of those different things being thought well of by the world, all of those different things they have already. And all of it is going to come to nothing for them. To nothing. They're going to be like those rabbits who are chased, or the, the dogs who are chasing that rabbit, and everything is going to explode on them one day, and they will have nothing. They will have nothing. They will be aimless. They will have nothing more to pursue in this world, and their end will be destruction. And it's a terrible thought, and it does not have to be that way. That's the way that the, the world thinks. They can have joy in the midst of health and wealth. But that is not what Christ offers. Joy when beaten and imprisoned and falsely accused. Joy in the midst of sorrow. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That they do not have. And that's what they need to see from us. That's what they need to see from us. Joy in the midst of sorrow. Yes, this life is filled with sorrows. Yes, there is all kinds of suffering. Yes, we are going through terrible things and trials and difficulties. And some of you are experiencing that right now. But we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. We can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing because our joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what they need to see from us. That is what this world cannot offer them. And that is what Jesus came to give us in this fallen and sorrow-filled, sin-ravaged world. Joy, that inner peace and joy, knowing, knowing that we can have this joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all will be well because all is well with the Lord and it always, always will be. And so in that, we can rejoice always. Let's pray. Our Lord God, when we think of this sin-filled world, sorrow-filled world, this fallen world, Lord, it is hard sometimes for us to have eyes to see and to rejoice. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to do so. And I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters, some who are going through tremendous trials and difficulties. I pray, O God, that you would help them 
to not be overcome by these different circumstances, to not be overcome by different people that seem to be set into their lives just to dissuade, just to discourage. Yet, Lord, we can see in the life of the Apostle Paul that neither circumstances nor people could steal his joy. And we pray that you would make us a joy-filled people by your power, by your strength, by your Holy Spirit, that we would that we would look and see all the good that you are doing in our own lives and in the lives of people around us, and that we would focus our hearts and our minds on the message of the gospel, that you would give us these eyes and these hearts to see, and that we would overcome this world just like our Lord Jesus has, and he said that we would. And so we pray, Lord, for that power to be at work within us. In Christ's name, amen.